0: I, uh, I titled this sermon, Read Your Freaking Bible, so uh <laughs> drew the inspiration from that. Uh, so actually, we're um, this this sermon's gonna be on the, the fourth statement of faith, but I was kind of like bored of reading scripture. Like, we don't need to do that. So I'm gonna read a few things uh, for you today that I thought were really inspirational or some of my favorite things. This is a Dr. Seuss book. We're gonna read this real quick. Uh, this is called Put Me in the Zoo. It says, I will go into the zoo. I want to see it. Yes, I do. We do not want you in the zoo. Out you go, out with you. Why did they put me out this way? I should be in. I want to stay. This is good. Uh, Just wait and see what I can do. Look, now all his spots are blue. It gets deeper. And now his spots are orange, say... He looks very good that way. Now look at this. What do you see? Spots as green, as green can be. Violet spots say, you are good. Do more, do more. We wish you would. I can do more. Look, this is new. Blue, orange, green, and violet too. Oh, they would put me in the zoo if they could see what I could do. We like all the things you do. We like your spots. We like you too. But with all the things that you could do, the circus is the place for you. Yes, this is where I want to be. The circus is the place for me. That's deep, right? Man, he's trying to find his place. Um, I'm going to read one of my favorite poems. This is from Robert Frost. The road not taken, right? Says this, two roads diverge into a yellow woods. And sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood. And looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay. In leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on the way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Some were ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So deep. So deep. And I'm going to throw up one of my favorite paintings. This is by Caravaggio. If you could, if you could put this up there, it's a Baroque painting, um, if it's going to work. Give you one minute. Wonderful. We'll get to, to look at this, hopefully, if not. I'm going to cry. By one minute, did you literally mean one minute? That's okay. We don't need to do that. Unless, are the other slides going to work? Some of them. All right. It's a good way to start out. Uh, We don't have to throw that out there. I'll talk while you figure the rest out. The point in me doing that is, uh, today we're gonna look at the doctrine of scripture. Um, and we're gonna talk about why do we gather and actually read scripture? Like why don't we gather and read some incredible poetry or read some, some novels by uh, Dr. Seuss or some poetry by Robert Frost. I mean, those are incredible highlights of the human experience of literature, of people literally gather and read those things for hours. So why, as, uh, why do we gather to actually read scripture? Why do we not only just worship, but I mean, every Sunday, there's this big, huge book and someone reads out of it and it may or may not be exciting and what they have to say may or may not be good. And, um, it's coming from me, so it's definitely gonna be good. Uh, <laughs> but why do we gather... To actually look at this book. Why not another book? Why not something else? I think it's a question. Oh, there we go. There's Caravaggio's. Um, it's the the death of Jesus. He's being lowered into a tomb. Um, it's one of my favorite paintings. So you could just, I mean, people have stared at this for centuries, for hours, meditating on what it means. Why is Jesus' arm like that? Um, why did Caravaggio put... Mary in the top right, when it wasn't okay to put Mary in paintings. What's, there's a little flower in the bottom left corner. Uh, why is there a little flower? People have stared at this for centuries. Why don't we do this instead of reading out of this? I think it's a question of, well, oh, it's the Bible. We have to. But <laughs> if we really are honest, do we actually know the answer to why this and not that? I think it's a question that's important, and as Bryce has kind of been walking through the Alliance's statement of faith, um, you can take that down. You can actually throw up the Alliance's statement of faith for the fourth one. Yeah. Um, we've been talking through some of the things that the Alliance Church believes, and they're not that unique. Some of them are a little. They're not that unique over the course of church history, um, we've been looking at why do we believe these things and why are they important for actual life, right? All theology, Bryce has been saying we all have theology, a framework for thinking about who God is and how he relates to us. Um, But do we have a framework for what this is and what's the purpose of it? So I will say, um, I was not terribly excited when Bryce said he had to leave and give me this because this is a big convoluted, really difficult thing that churches have disagreed over for a long time. We're going to try and not get into that. And so if I bog you down, that's not my my point. Um, I want to communicate to you all over the next 30, 40 minutes that God's word is trusted. It has been trusted throughout all of history by the church. Um, It is important and that you can trust it and that you should engage in reading scripture Every day, if there's anything that you take away from this sermon, it's read your freaking Bible. Okay, <laughs> just remember me escaping from a car, and uh, Kim's not here to say Amen. I'm kind of frustrated, but um, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into this. And this this typically isn't how I preach. Like I usually like to just get one passage of scripture and kind of walk through it step by step. We're gonna be bouncing all over the place because there is no just one chunk of scripture that explains this. Um, Scripture, it's something that you have to study and meditate on. And um, a lot of these things are, they're from different points of scripture that we pull together to get some good answers. Um, I will also say, believe it or not, this is my third sermon today. I had uh, um, Julie, Pastor Julie, um, she's a pastor at United Methodist Church. Uh, Her husband has pneumonia. She's had COVID and they're just struggling. And so I took two of her um, morning sermons and those two sermons were not on this, so I'm, I'm just slightly bogged down. So if you just need me to say, go like skip over something, like just yell at me. Um, I told them I, I work with high school, middle school kids. So I'm like used to things being thrown at me. So if I'm boring you, please just throw something at me. So this is uh, the fourth statement of faith. I'm sure all of you are gonna know exactly what this means as soon as we read it. It says this, the old and new testaments inerrant as originally given were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. By men, they mean humanity, men and women. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. Everyone got it? Good? Just, everyone's got that, right? No? (laughs) Um, I will say, there have been more PhDs and commentaries written on some of these words, like inerrancy, Uh, than there are people in this room, okay? This is a heavy, sticky topic that um, is difficult to understand. And I don't want us to understand each and every word in this sentence. I want us to walk away from this, understanding that scripture is faithful, it is trustworthy, and it is what God intends for us to read, to get to Jesus, and to get to knowing him, okay? Okay? That's that's where I want us to get. If you are getting bogged down by this and you're like, you have already lost me, Brian, that's okay. Um, try and tune in and let's let's walk through this. There's a few things I, I want you all to, um, like if you walk away from this and you're like, one, I want to know more or two, I don't care what he said. I want something else. Um, you can talk to me. I, I wrote a paper on this and I, I'd be happy to send that to you. Um, it kind of goes in detail with some of these words a little more, or you can just Google the Chicago Statement. It's a, a group of like 200 theologians um, around the world in like 1978 got together and they kind of hashed out um, the doctrine of inerrancy in scripture in light of um, relativity and, and what is truth. Uh, some of that conversation. So you can look that up as well and that'll kind of help you out. So I'm going to start by just a small portion of this. Um, The Old and New Testament, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God. What the heck does that mean? Um, It means that it's trustworthy. And in order for us to kind of understand this, I want us to go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read a small portion of this. And it's, it's one of my favorite things and I think it's a little bit terrifying for us. Let's see here. Acts chapter eight. It's about Philip and the Ethiopian. There we go. So essentially what is happening is there's this guy named Philip. He's an evangelist and he's going around proclaiming that, hey, Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's God in human flesh. He died, he raised from the dead um, and he is the Jewish Messiah, right? And this happens. So an angel appears, and tells Philip, hey, go to this place. And what's happening is there's this convoy of people and they're on their way to Jerusalem, all right? And then an angel tells Philip, hey, go up and talk to these people, okay? You understand what's going on here? So Philip goes to this Ethiopian eunuch and it says this, in verse 30, it says, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer in silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were walking along and someone pulled out a Bible and they're like, hey, I have no idea what this means, and they pull out this verse, how would you respond to them? It's a prophecy about Jesus. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Yeah, this is exactly what Philip does. Philip sits with this guy from from the Old Testament and he says, hey, let me explain to you how this leads to Jesus. And when we read the the first statement, the Old and the New Testament, in Aaron as originally given, it means that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are God's word. Now, trust me, um, how many of you are like super excited to like bust open Leviticus? Anyone like, man, I just can't wait to get into like Leviticus 16 and some of the really weird like sexual codes that, (laughs) like, it's sometimes really awkward. But what this is saying is, that is scripture. It's scripture and it's worth reading. Like, for me, I love to live in the Gospels. In Young Life, we live in the Gospels because it's Jesus and what he's done. And it's really easy to sit with a kid and just kind of explain who Jesus is. But what if you're like Philip and you have to explain From Leviticus to Jesus somehow. Is anyone really confident in that? I'm like, I'm not even that confident. I'm not even that confident. But what's really cool is God uses a situation and luckily, Philip had a really good understanding of the Old Testament and how it led to Jesus. There's a really fun game I like to play, which you can do. It's probably not that fun for you. Um, It's how do you get to Jesus? I mean, pull any verse, any verse, Old Testament, I'll do one right now. Ready? Uh, Judges, this is chapter 5, 26. Her right hand reached for the tent peg. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> wow, it's highlighted. Her right hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Caesarea. She crushed his head. She shattered the, and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. There he lay at her feet he sank. He fell. There he sank. There he fell dead. Wow. (laughs) Is anyone like, "Mm, I didn't hear any amens. I don't even know if Kim would have amened that. Uh, But this is about, it's a song about a woman um, who apparently shoves a tent peg into somebody's head. Um, How do you get there to Jesus? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there, the point of scripture is it leads to Jesus. That, that sometimes is really difficult to find though. And so I wanna, I wanna ask you, how do we find Jesus in the Old Testament? Like the, the claim, I don't know if you can throw that back up there, uh, the first one. The claim is that the Old and the New Testament are scripture. How do we find Jesus in the Old Testament? Does anyone wanna throw something out there? How do we find Jesus in the Old Testament? Why is it worth reading? Anyone want to take a shot at it? I'm, I'm not a. I mean, on a surface level, yeah, but like you can't really know Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus lived in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Old Testament is necessary for understanding who the Messiah was and what he meant to do, and that, that's Jesus. Absolutely. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, he never changes. Absolutely. That's good. What were you going to say? Prophecy? Yeah, absolutely. We get to see how God reveals himself like progressively and how Jesus is, I mean, he leads back to all of those prophecies and all those prophecies point to Jesus. Yeah, it's really difficult because none of us, I don't know if anyone here is Jewish, but um, man, it's sometimes really difficult to look at some parts of the Old Testament and be like, I just don't get how this is worth it. Like just, I'm gonna skip ahead and just get to the New Testament and maybe read through some of the gospels or read through some of Pauline's literature, like Romans or Ephesians, some of those really good books where I can just take something away right away. Um, Absolutely, but I think it's, it's worth it. And this says it. It's something that we believe as a church. And not only just us, but church history has always agreed upon the fact that, hey, the Old Testament is God's word for you. When you pick open your Bible, is your, is your first response to, to say, hey, this is all scripture? And when I flip to Leviticus, I expect that God could be saying something to me right now. <sighs> sometimes I don't. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. Uh, sometimes they can get bogged down and really difficult. It goes on and it, it says, um, it's errand as originally given, and it was verbally inspired by God. What does that mean? This is a big word that kind of is really confusing. What it means is this. Can you go to the slide with uh, John 14, six, right before that? To kind of help us understand this, I wanna say this, Uh, the one right before that. Here we go. Jesus is truth. We're gonna look at a verse that says that Jesus is himself truth. And Jesus points to scripture as truth, right? Therefore, scripture is truth and it is trustworthy, i.e., what that means is it's inerrant. It is a measuring up to what truth is. Can you go to the next slide? This is out of John 14, 6. And Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, the truth. Not a truth. I am the truth. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'm, I'm one of those truths out there. Like you can go and, Uh, Do something else as well. You can find life maybe somewhere else, like your job or maybe different world religions. Um, Maybe you can get into philosophy or, or something else. No, Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am the way and I am the life. There is no other way. There is no other truth and there is no other life outside of me. And then he says this, no one comes to the father except through me. This is one of those really big, important verses because I think a lot of people say, well, I'm like, I don't know about Jesus, but like God, like I I think there's a being out there that's God. And like, I don't really know if he wants to like, religion just gets really sticky and messy. And I would agree, religion does get really sticky and messy. But what Jesus is claiming is you cannot know God except through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's a big claim. (laughs) That's a huge claim. And we find that in scripture. The next verse says this up there. Um, This is out of John 5, 39 through 40. I love this. It says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, you have eternal life. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who have mastered scripture. I mean, they knew it like the back of their hand. They had most of it memorized because you think that in them, you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Jesus is saying is, this is a great book to read, wonderful, read it every day, but unless unless you are seeking Jesus in this book, it is absolutely worthless. That's a crazy thought. There are really good people throughout history that have read this book and not used it the way it was actually intended to be used. This book is great. We can learn really good moral truths from it. Like there are a lot of really good things in here, like love your neighbor, forgive your enemies. Wow, we could almost build a framework of society, like America, <laughs> based off of some of these principles. But does that mean that this book is in and of itself good? No. <clears throat> and that's weird. Part of, it, part of me gets like really uncomfortable when I say that. This book isn't just good because there are some good things in it. This book is good because it leads to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit uses this book to point us to Jesus and Jesus points us to God the Father. We talked about the Trinity a few weeks ago, how that is a foundational piece. Without this, we do not get to the Trinity in and of itself. This book is wonderful, read it. But unless it is taking you to the person of Jesus who takes us to God the Father, it's just not worth it. And that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Does it make anyone else uncomfortable a little bit? Yeah, like we don't talk about the Bible like that. We just, we just tell our children, hey, read this book. We just tell each other, hey, have you read your Bible recently? But I think that's why it's really important to, to reframe, hey, have you experienced Jesus through reading your Bible? Hey, what has Jesus been teaching you? I know Shirley uses that all the time and people, um, that I know they use that. And I think it's a healthy way to talk about what scripture is and why we use it. It is the best tool. Why? Because it leads us to Jesus. Prayer is wonderful. Prayer leads us into the presence of God, absolutely. Worship, absolutely. All of those things that we do. Communion, absolutely. But scripture is the foundational piece that leads us to the truth of who Jesus is. So I wanna stop there. Okay, that was, that was a lot. I just talked a lot. Um, my mouth is already dry from talking. Uh, so what questions do you have about that? I don't have any specific questions, but does anyone have any questions about that? Is anyone uncomfortable? Is that weird, anything? It's just very silent. I wish Kim was here to say amen. <sighs> any questions or any thoughts Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It it goes to that um, truths not lived are really truths not believed. Like if, if we're not really opening this book to engage in Jesus on a daily basis, we probably don't believe that this is actually God's word for us. And that's not like a mean way of saying it, because man, there are days that I I forget, I get bogged down and caught up in, in things. I think whenever like a young life kid comes and meets the Lord, I always tell them read the Book of John. It's um, it's a really great book to read. It's one of my favorite. It really walks through who Jesus is. Um, but yeah, as as a church community, I wouldn't say hey just go read Genesis and then work your way through Revelation. I think that's that's a really hard way to understand what scripture is. I mean, it doesn't even, I think most of us, if we're going to tell a story, we start with point A, point B, point C, right? We go in a chronological way and the Bible is not written chronologically. And that's really difficult, I think for our American framework and understanding of, I mean, could you imagine watching a movie and there are movies like this where you go from point A to point C and then you go back to point B and point D, like I would be lost. My brain does not work that way. Um, but that's because they lived in the story. I, I would say, there are, there are really good app plans called like reading the Bible chronologically. And that was one of the best things I ever did. I did that about five years ago. And it, it puts scripture in a chronological order. Um, and it really helps you understand the story, I think, in a framework that us as Americans um, can actually read it and digest it in a better way. Does that make sense a little? Cool. Anyone else have any questions about this? Yeah. Yeah. It is. keeps us in line with what God would have us do. Because a lot of times people, well, you know, God wouldn't do, why would a good God do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes things don't make sense to us in our humanness. But just because the neighbor down the street thinks this is the better way, if it's not in line with Scripture, then it's still not correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's hard because that leads us to we really have to understand Scripture, you know? Um, and that kind of goes to my next point of the Bible. I, I think so many of us pick this up and we try and just, un- yeah, Colin, go ahead. Go ahead. What you have to say is probably better. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that, that, um, so the Catholic church would probably disagree with this, uh, the Old and New Testaments, because they're, they think Apocrypha is a part of church tradition and they would hold church tradition within the same standard as scripture, um, as a Protestant church, church, or scripture is always, um, before church tradition. Does that make sense? So we, like, I know Anglicans in their, in their Bible, they might have the Apocrypha, um, like in the front, they wouldn't hold it as the same level of inerrancy as the Old and New Testament, but they would still say, hey, this is worth reading, but we don't derive our truth from this. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, so, and I think think reading the Apocrypha, like some of um, the books, they're worth reading, um, but I don't derive my theology and understanding of who Jesus is from that. And there aren't, besides the Catholic Church and a few other Weird church traditions. I, I, sorry for weird. Um, they wouldn't. They wouldn't hold the apocrypha on the same level as the Old and New Testament. Uh, they're just. They're written. They're written. Sorry. Significantly later than the Old and New Testaments. Um, there's been a lot of um, odd authorship. We don't have great old manuscripts. And the early church. Um, I should know this. About 60 years after Jesus's death, we have have the church agreeing on the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. So there was an early church consensus on the Old and New Testament were the books that the church agreed. This is God's word. It isn't until significantly later that some people started to argue, probably about 300 years later, started to argue, is the Apocrypha, some of those other books, um, are they worth including in the canon of scripture? And there was the Council of Nicaea at 325 that kind of had a debate on that and uh, came to the consensus of the 66 books. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Catholic Church would disagree on that, but they just have a different framework. Um, I definitely still consider them brothers and sister in Christ. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church would, would definitely differ on the Old and New Testament as the 66 books. Um, Mormons would, would differ on that. They have the Book of Mormon. And that kind of gets into, if you look at this, um, we're verbally inspired up here. That's one of the sections we're verbally inspired by God. We believe that the very words of Scripture, God used the authors um, to verbally inspire them to write the very words of Scripture. Mormons would say that God literally told Joseph Mormon to dictate the words, that God controlled the mind of Joseph Mormon and actually write the exact words. We don't believe that as a church. We think God used the personalities and the editors and Everybody, in the process of writing things down, we don't believe that God took over their minds like robots and wrote word for word. So that would kind of be that distinction. Does that make sense? Yeah? Cool. Um, What time is it? Oh, we still got a little time. Uh, Like I said, if if we're getting too bad, I'm gonna skip some things, which is okay. These are all really, really good. And this is kind of weird. This is more like... Mm -hmm. This is more almost like a Bible study where there should be like questions and answers because this specific topic, it's not something that we really dive deep into and talk about, but it is really important for us to understand, hey, why do we stack hands on, we're going to read scripture. Like it is so important for us to understand that man, when uh, my, my sister, uh, her and her husband, it was their anniversary yesterday, right? And um, her husband, Stephen, his dad died on their anniversary. Horrible. Um, why do I why do I pray for them and why do I want them to look for Jesus in this rather than send them a I'm sorry card and and you know like because because this is what's really going to give them comfort because this is what God uses it, it's one of those things that what do we actually believe and why do we actually do it 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 really does change and, and dictate our lives as believers <clears throat> so so moving on a little bit after that into One of the things that we do as Christians, which I think is um, one, it's bad, but two, I don't think it's always intentional, is it's really easy for us to take this and just kind of take verses out of context and begin to use them. And we see this in the the political world all the time, they get weaponized. We see this, um, man, in church denominations, we'll fight over the way people use scripture. And inerrancy does not mean that we can read the same scripture and disagree on interpretation. So that's a really, really important thing. Inerrancy does not mean Bryce and I can stand up here, we can read Genesis one and have different theological interpretations. Okay, inerrancy means we believe that it is truthful, it is trustworthy, and God uses it to teach us people. But Bryce and I might come to two very different conclusions. Does that make sense? Um, The thing that becomes a problem is when when we begin to weaponize scripture and use it to hurt people, that's not Jesus's intent. How does that lead somebody to Jesus? I don't think it does. I think it leads them to a place of pain and hurt that is unhelpful for most Christians. So I wanna share with you all a story real quick. Um, so this happened. I, I like embarrassing my family. So this happened not this Thursday, but last Thursday. I think it was Barrett and Brielle. Was that last Thursday? Wonderful. So Barrett comes home from school. He is so excited. He got star student of the month. Um, it was awesome. He goes to Jenny's Randolph. He was a first student, first grade star student of the month. We're so proud of him. Right. And Brielle comes home and she's very sad. We're like, Brielle, what's going on? What's wrong? She doesn't want to talk about it. She runs up to her room. Did she crawl into her bed? Yeah, she crawled into her bed, didn't want to talk about it. So at nighttime, Brie is talking to Brielle, and Brielle finally says, Mommy, I got I to gotta tell you something. Okay, what's going on? She said, uh, I, pooped, I pooped at the playground at school. <laughs> you did what? The teachers wouldn't let me go to the bathroom, so I pooped on at the playground at school. <laughs> Uh, So in one hand, my son got star student of the month. And on the same day, my daughter pooped at the playground at school. (laughs) I still love them. I'm still so proud of them. But man, those are two different very, (laughs) those are two just different experiences. Um, And I think (laughs) life is kind of like that and scripture is kind of like that. Sometime we can come to scripture and it looks, it's the star student of the month. Wow, Jesus just spoke to me in this incredible way. And sometimes scripture is like pooping at the playground at school. It is really difficult. It is really hard to understand. And sometimes it's just flat out frustrating. Um, They're probably going to be embarrassed if they can hear it in the nursery. But uh, (laughs) I often think scripture is kind of like that. Some days it can be really good and some days it can be really frustrating. And I think that's what kind of leads us into this. Um, Scripture is originally, it was meant to be read in a community. In in the American context, we always talk about doing your quiet time, which is really important. I think each and every one of us uh, should have a specific quiet time, but I don't think we should ever forget that scripture is meant to be read in community. It is a narrative. It is a story that we fit into In that context, it can only happen when we're reading it together. Scripture is not this thing for Brian to kind of digest and how do I become a better person and a better follower of Christ? It is a story that I'm a part of and that includes all of us here. Like you can can easily look at baptism and take baptism from story from story all the way back to Genesis 1, God splitting the waters and creating the earth. You can go from God from baptism to God splitting the Red Sea, to Moses being saved through the waters. Ooh, baptism. You can go back to the flood. You can go back to Genesis one. Scripture is this beautiful narrative of how God is working in this world. And if we read that individually, um, I, I promise you, you will never get to understanding this statement the way it was, the way it's supposed to be read. Scripture, it's not black and white. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's really hard to understand. I mean, literally, I talked about inerrancy right there, um, how there have been more PhDs and commentaries written on that specific word than there are people in this room. That's because it's hard to understand. Scripture is not just super easy, and I'm gonna read it and then walk away into work and go throughout my day. It's hard. It's hard. And that just reinforces the purpose of we have to do this together and stack hands on, hey, when we don't interpret something the same way, how do we love each other through that? I'm going to move on and continue to go through some other things. Um, can you go to the slide with uh, 2 Peter 1? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm kind of bouncing around. Any questions on that? Thoughts, comments, questions? You're an idiot. Any, any of those? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the first, <clears throat> well, I mean, Jews had a really good level of education, so they could read the Old Testament. But man, after that, if you weren't a part of the Roman society, you probably couldn't read. And so most of the world has relied on learning from what scripture is, from people reading it to them. <clears throat> and it wasn't until, you know, 1600s where we actually were able to print Bibles and give them to individual people. Yeah. Yeah. Scripture has always been a community context thing, always. It isn't, you know, until probably three, 400 years ago that people had individual Bibles to read on their own. And that's not bad. But yeah, it, it's important to acknowledge this is meant to be read together, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God's word so that when everything goes the wrong way, they can come back to their rock and say, mm-hmm. today's a really crunny day, but my Jesus still loves me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> That's great. Alright, I'm gonna move on. Um the the second part of of that statement is it's inspired by God and is a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. And essentially what that means is scripture, we don't need anything besides scripture to understand who Jesus is and why he came. All right, if we wanna really understand who Jesus is and why he came, why God wants a relationship with us, we don't need to look for anything outside of scripture. The Holy Spirit uses scripture to point us to Jesus and to illuminate our minds to understand that. But scripture, scripture is the complete revelation. That means, going back to kind of Colin's idea, that we don't need other books. We don't need the Apocrypha that doesn't hold the same weight. We don't have extra writings like uh, the Book of Mormon, or um, that's where we really differ on like Muslim uh, religion, is they have um, different books that kind of supersede who Jesus is and what like we don't need that. This is something that we stack hands on, is scripture is sufficient. For us and understanding what it means for us to be saved and be a part of God's kingdom. And so we get this in second Peter verses, or sorry, Second Peter chapter one, 16 through 21. And once again, I'm throwing a lot of information at you, so I'm so sorry, but <clears throat> this is a, a convoluted thing that we're talking through, and it says this. And this is Peter. This is Jesus's disciple. This is the knucklehead Peter. He says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven When we were with him on the sacred mountain, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the dawn, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts above all, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this, this kind of just really helps us understand the framework of why is scripture important? Why don't we have just people come up on stage and start prophesying, right? Because that, that can happen. The Alliance Church believes that prophecy does still continue right now, but if something does not agree with what scripture says, it is not valid. And Peter even says, hey, the prophets of the Old Testament and every word that I have, every word that I wrote, every one of Jesus' disciples, everything that they wrote that we have in scripture, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Nothing they said had human origins. So even Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, this is early, early church, right? First 50 years of the church starting after Jesus' death, they're already acknowledging that Scripture is actually Scripture. If we don't look at it, if Peter is looking at it and saying, hey, this is important, actually more important than any other words that he preached on a Sunday morning, Peter, we should look at this as kind of important. Does that make sense? Yeah, even Peter, he says, hey, all of my Sunday sermons mean nothing compared to Scripture. If you all come to church on Sunday expecting me to say something great, I'm gonna fail you every time as I probably did today. (laughs) But if you come today expecting that God's word is gonna be read and that is sufficient for your spiritual growth, (laughs) then you're gonna be in pretty good shape. I promise what I have to say and what Bryce has to say, we believe and anyone else who comes and shares, I believe that God can use that for the benefit of the congregation but it is not as important as God's word. I think in America, we get really um, infatuated with really popular uh, pastors who are really, really good with sermons and wonderful. I'm so glad God has raised up men and women who can teach and speak in incredible ways, right? But the moment we get so infatuated with what they have to say that we stop caring about what scripture says, we're in a very bad place. This God's word is the most important thing that is said on a Sunday morning. Make sense? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Any questions or thoughts about that? I'm just gonna keep stopping and saying this because I need a drink. Read your freaking Bibles. (laughs) Um, The last thing um, I I want you, we're gonna look at the last part of this. Um, it says, yeah, they constitute the divine and only rule for Christian faith and practice. Um, this, we're gonna go to the next slide. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And this is Paul talking to Timothy, his disciple. He says this, all scripture, goes back to the Old and New Testament, all scripture, probably in Paul's mind, just the Old te- Testament when he was writing this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The thing that equips believers is not seminary, although seminary, you should be studying scripture. It is not classes. It is scripture. The Holy Spirit using scripture to point us to Jesus who points us to God the Father. Scripture is the thing that trains us to become righteous people, that the world should look at and say, there's something different about them. It's not a good smile. It's not about morality. It's not about your political position, I promise you. The world is dying and needs true life, which is offered in Jesus. And that is offered through studying scriptures. I'm gonna skip over a few things and just go to the final thought. And it goes back to something I said when Kate was speaking. It's that truth believed and not lived is not truth believed. All day, I'll say say it again. Truth believed and not lived is not truth believed. We can believe that the Bible is great all day long. (laughs) We can believe it's great. We can believe it's wonderful. We can believe it teaches us good things but the the moment we stop expecting for God to meet us when we open this book each and every day is the day that we're just not following Jesus. You can sing worship songs all day long. And I encourage you, man, worship your heart out. Listen to worship music on, on the way to work, anywhere you go, listen to it, great, wonderful. But that will not, it does not sustain you in your walk with Christ. Scripture is the only thing that sustains us in our walk with Christ to point us through the Holy Spirit to Jesus, to God the Father. Scripture is wonderful. Taking communion is wonderful. Doing other things that lift us up is wonderful. But it is through Scripture. And so I wanna encourage you and admonish you, what does your day look like with Scripture? What does your morning look like? What does your night look like? I mean, Jesus, we know, he was a Jew. He said the Shema. At morning, at lunchtime-ish, and at the evening time. They did this. Jesus lived in scripture. His disciples lived in scripture. Most of church history, we have lived in scripture. And man, we have so many things that pull our attention away from scripture. Get rooted in God's word for you because it is what we need to understand who Jesus is and how we are to live our lives in America, and in this broken world. And so my conclusion for us today, because I know I've spoken a lot, um, my conclusion is this very simple children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves us, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, that is, theologians have said, if you boil down all of theology that has ever been talked about for all of church history, it should boil down to, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Children's songs are great because they boil down deep, complex ideas into very simple thoughts. Let's not forget that those thoughts aren't just for children, they're for us. Jesus loves you and you should know it because the Bible tells you so. And I'll end with this. Read your freaking Bible. (laughs) Let me pray. Amen. (laughs) Oh God, I hope you did something with that hot mess. Um, I I know that you will because your word was proclaimed and um, God, I know that your your spirit is working and um, it is pointing us to you, Jesus. And Jesus, we know that in you is true life and true life abundantly. Jesus, you came um, to point us to truth, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. There is no way, there is no truth, and there is no life outside of you. God, I pray that we would seek after you, that we would long uh, to have moments with you daily found in and through scripture. God, that when we, when we open um, the Old Testament and it's confusing, that we would ask questions to each other. God, there have been so many beautiful conversations of what does this mean? And it leads me to some incredible conversations with your people that you are, you are equipping and guiding and leading into those conversations. We trust and we know that. God, would you just bless us, uh, this church, this community as, as we seek diligently after your heart. God, would we we be faithful in trying to understand your scriptures? Because we know that there are other Ethiopian eunuchs walking around in this world thinking, what the heck does this mean? Would we be Phillips walking into those conversations bold and proud, able to explain exactly who you are? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.